You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. When I knew we were going to sing that song, Anthem, my prayer shifted to um, my heart. I, I love the song personally. And then I, my, my heart and then a prayer kind of shifted to you all. And my prayer is, is that you do have times like that in your life where you are literally overwhelmed by the love of God for you. I think sometimes we just get too used to Christianity. We get too used to living a hard life and it's embittered, embittered us and made us bitter. And... Uh, Mm, I love that song. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, please, if you turn in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse number 23. 1 Corinthians 11. And when you get there, you're going to see it as a familiar text because it is the text that the New Testament church, when we gather together to take the Lord's table, It's what we will read. And so this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Why Do We Celebrate the Lord's Death? Why do we we celebrate death, so to speak? And uh, really, it is a celebration this morning. The songs were all planned perfectly uh, around uh, this morning's uh, communion that we will take here in a few moments. And uh, the message here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Christians have been accused over the years of being infatuated with death. Over the centuries, we often will uh, be called all kinds of names. You have a bloody religion and you, and you celebrate death. We sing about it. We, we preach about it. Our very hope and that we cling to, our joy is found in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from the very moment of sin entering into the world through the fall of Adam and Eve, death followed that. While they themselves would eventually die as a result of their rebellion, their sin also resulted in immediate physical death, and that would have been a death of an animal. And you, and then that's noticed in Genesis 3 when, when God made the clothes for Adam and Eve. They were naked prior to their sin. We see in Genesis 3, verse 21, unto Adam also... And to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. 
And so God would have taken that animal and would have slain it. There would have been literally immediate death because of the results of sin. And so deliverance always demands a sacrifice. This simple act of God's kind provision of slaying this animal and providing Adam and Eve with this kind of clothing, a type of simple, uh, 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 of even righteousness. It was foreshadowing. It was foretelling the, the substitute that He would eventually send that was going to redeem sinners. And this foreshadowing did not end simply there. Substitutionary atonement is woven throughout Jewish history and culture in the Old Testament. As Andrew at 10 o'clock has walked us through uh, just kind of an overview of Ezekiel. And I want to thank you publicly. You did a wonderful job. And the Lord worked in my heart immensely through it. And uh, we tried to, sometimes our audio doesn't always catch and record, but uh, every single one that we were able to record is on our website. And um, I would encourage you to follow along with that. But, but often they were talking about these kind of Old Testament and referencing Old Testament sacrifices, this substitutionary atonement. In Genesis 22, we read of the story of Abraham being sent to um, Mount Moriah, where God had said, I want you to, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Again, a, a, a type, there's typology uh, in that, or his, his, his son there that they had prayed so long for. And we see in verse number 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son and so Abraham his first biological son with uh, with Sarah God said I, I, I want you to I want you to offer him up and God would gives a replacement there God similarly provided a substitute in Exodus chapter number 12 when the spotless Passover lamb was going to spare all of Israel's firstborn sons. You know that Israel and God's people, they were in captivity there in Egypt under Pharaoh for hundreds of years and there were plagues and plagues and plagues and the final one was the firstborn son of every family there that was in Egypt. But God made a way of escape for His people and said, if you were to take the, uh, the blood of a spotless lamb and to put it on the doorposts, He would spare them. Substitutionary death was essentially the heart of the entire sacrificial system that the Lord instituted under the Mosaic Covenant. And so the message to God's people was clear. Death always follows sin, and atonement for sin was not available without a sacrifice. And so from early on, as soon as sin entered into that garden, as soon as sin entered into the world, you immediately see death. And you see some types of this substitutionary death that God would show up on the scene. And then every single ceremonial type of, uh, of just sacrificial system pointed to the Christ that would come. However, it was never the sacrifice of an animal itself that brought pleasure to the Lord. It actually never atoned for sin. Even the psalmist said in David as he's confessing his sin in Psalm 51, for thou desirest not a sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. 
And so those sacrifices, they were, they were divinely designed as simple acts of the obedience of faith. Each of them were, were pointing to the final lamb that God would ultimately provide in Jesus Christ. However, Israel, obviously, they, they, they missed the significance of God's foreshadowing and they expected that the Messiah would come as a lion and not as a lamb. And the Passover celebration, it, it remained a highlight in the Jewish calendar. The, a, a, for several centuries after the Lord first delivered the Israelites from Egypt, Christ is the fulfillment of everlasting, every, every Passover pointed toward. And what He did was He transformed that Passover meal into a new celebration. And it was a celebration of His sacrificial death on our behalf. And so as you and I, this morning, as we, as we prepare to celebrate Christ's death in a few minutes, we're going to kind of go and look into like kind of the upper room and we're going to see how that, how that parallels with that, the, that link, so to speak, between the Passover and the Lord's table. And I want you this morning to, to just spend a few minutes this morning considering the substitutionary atonement that was made available for everyone through God's Lamb, His Son, Jesus Christ. So at the time of Christ's death, uh, the Passover was the oldest of Jewish festivities out of all of them. In fact, it was older than the, uh, any other celebration of the Lord's covenant with Moses and Israel. It was established before the priesthood. It was established before the tabernacle. And it was established even before the law itself. And so it was ordained by God while Israel was still in slavery there in Egypt. And it's been celebrated by His people for more than 1,500 years now. He's in the upper room. He's with His closest of, of disciples and His friends. And so for over 1,500 years, they have been celebrating this Passover. And so the lesson of the Passover was that deliverance from the judgment of God always requires death. And it always requires death of an innocent substitute. And so that was the entire sacrificial system of Israel. What it was communicating was is that deliverance is available. It's available, but it's going to come with a cost. It's going to come with death. It's going to come with blood being shed. And so from the perspective of the law, from the perspective of, of, of the Mosaic law, the lamb that was slain was considered pure. And so there's always got to be a pure substitute. But it wasn't the sacrifice of that lamb that was ultimately was going to satisfy God's wrath. Those sacrifices could not accomplish anything on, in and of themselves. Instead, they always pointed to God's ultimate provision. That He was going to supply the, the true Passover lamb in the sacrifice of His Son. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. 
For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins? But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, notice what it says, should take away sins. And so for more than 1,500 years after the Lord delivered the Israelites from Egypt, now Jesus Christ, He's, he, he's prepared to celebrate the final Passover. Getting ready to celebrate uh, the, 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 the final type of what that always men and he's there in the upper room and he's with his disciples and Jesus Christ he says to them in Luke 22 verse 15 and he said to them with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer and so he was eager because this was a pivotal moment in Jesus Christ's ministry He's getting ready to uh, teach the disciples many more things before he was going to be turned over to the to, to the Sanhedrin and so why does, why does that matter in the discussion about communion? Because in, his, in, in the intimacy of this upper room with his closest followers by his side, Christ celebrated the last legitimate Passover. He transformed its meaning and he replaced it with a new ordinance for the people of God. Sitting in the upper room, Jesus was only hours away from fulfilling the centuries of foreshadowing. Jesus Christ was being and was prepared to be the sacrificial lamb of Israel that they had been waiting for for so long. Listen, Passover, it was no small event in the lives of the Israelites. It was a symbol of their, of their national unity bonding them together in the protection and the provision of the Lord. And hear me, in the same way, observing communion that we're going to do here in a few minutes, it is a collective reminder of God's provision through Jesus Christ's death. It unites us as people who have been rescued, who people have been transformed and grafted into God's family. And listen, all of that was made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. We have been, over the last, I don't know, the last month and a half or so, we've been kind of referencing the diversity of our church. And I absolutely love it. The different backgrounds and the different languages and the different colors of our skin and all of that. You know what communion does? Unifies all of that into the, we're engrafted into the family of God. And what is so beautiful about every couple months when we, when we take communion, is it ought to, it's, just, it's awesome. Just like the festivities of Passover for all of those hundreds and even well over a thousand years was to the Israelites. Jesus is now instituting something that is of immense importance. It is a unification factor where you and I, where we gather together and we can, in, in one, we can remember the sacrifice of Christ. Now listen, it does not have some deeper spiritual significance. Celebrating communion does not re-offer Christ as a sacrifice as some would teach. His death was made 
by, by, by God was once for all. The Bible says that over and over in the book of Hebrews. There was one provision for our sins. And so what we're about to partake of here in a few minutes, it's not re-sacrificing Christ on the cross. It's simply done in remembrance, as Paul tells the church at Corinth. Listen, Christ also does not inhabit the elements in some mystical way. The bread is a type. It is a, it is a picture of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And the juice is a picture of the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. They're reminders that we are secure in our salvation and in Christ. And so for our sakes, for you and for me, with us in mind, the Lord, He's, he's instituting a new memorial. One that, one that points us back to the life and to the death of Christ. One that unites us in love for one common Savior. Listen, you and I, we're getting ready to you know, say goodbye maybe for the afternoon and I hope you all come back tonight. Sign up. There's the plug for the sign up. Please let us know you're coming. You know, but we're gonna we're we're gonna part and we're gonna we're gonna do our our other things this week and we're gonna go in different directions. And listen, there's a lot of differences about us. Man, there's one thing that unites all of us if you are a believer in here, and that is our commonality in Christ. And so communion, Jesus was doing something so wonderful for you and for me when he was in that upper room instituting this new memorial. It was definitely a reminder to think about the life and the death of the Lord. It was a uniting factor for our one common Savior. It gives profound testimony to His sacrifice to an unsaved world. Why would you, why would you do this? You have an opportunity to speak of. And it builds in us an anticipation of His return. Paul says that in the text. And we shall do this until He returns. He's going to come back. And so if you're a Christian... These reminders should spur you to a greater love for the Savior and the church that He died to redeem. As you prepare to celebrate the Lord's death and the resurrection right now, I you to take some time to consider God's faithful deliverance to His people and how that was extended to all in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you get engrafted in. That's the biblical term. We just, just become part of the family. It was so neat. Someone this past Wednesday in our home group, we were, we were talking. We were talking about things that are going on and some exciting things and maybe some even difficult things. And our, our topic for the night was, was the beauty of God, and the beauty of Christ. And we looked at all different types of, you know, just, just passages that can kind of help us with that. And someone said, you're family. But we're actually not family. I wasn't born in their home and all of that. But it was just like, you're family. That's what Jesus does. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is the person to your left and right behind you in front of you, that you actually feel like they are family. Can I step on your toes for a little bit? If you don't, that's on you. 
because this is the one of the most friendliest churches I know. People that genuinely love people. And listen, communion is really, it's all about that. Hey, one in Christ. Let's, let's ponder what Christ did to allow this. Different backgrounds, just oddities about us. And then in Christ, we can be one. See, you and I, we've been redeemed. And if you've been redeemed, you need to remember that your salvation was possible only through the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I, if we're seated here as a born-again believer, listen, all glory goes to Christ. All of it. It's not you. It's not what you did. It's not how you cleaned up. It's not how you turned over a new leaf. It's not about any of that. It is not by works of righteousness. It's not by anything that that we have done. It is simply through Christ. And if you're seated here this morning and you've not bent a knee in repentance and faith, know that it is only through the shed blood. Know that we sing about the cross. We sing about the death. We sing about the blood. Why? Because apart from Christ, you and I are hopeless. I I love verses 8 and 9. Well, you start in verse number one, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit thou now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, this was describing us before salvation three among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyles in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Listen, God intervened. And God is the one that made the change. So if you're seated here and you've not bent the knee in your heart in repentance of faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, what I just read, that, that describes you. But we're about to celebrate what Christ did for us so that way we don't have to remain in those sins. We don't have to remain in that death. We can spend eternity in heaven for by, before by grace are you saved through faith. And so as we prepare, I want you to, want you to take some time to consider what the Lord has done for you. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I am going to ask you, literally plead with you, beg with you, do not leave today without knowing that. Because you want to know why we're going to celebrate here in a moment? Because we believe that the Word of God teaches that Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life. We're going to celebrate His death. We're going to celebrate his blood that he spilt for our behalf. And praise God, three days later, he didn't stay in that grave, right? He rose again. Why? Because he is God. He he is God. Head bowed, every eye closed. I want you right now to just ponder the salvation that was made possible through you or for you through Christ. Christ.